in Exodus today, Exodus chapter 15. So please find that in your Bible. If you're new to the scriptures, uh, you can look in the table of contents, find the page number, and easily be able to find Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. Chapter 15 is where we will be at. I'm going to read chapter 15 starting with verse 22, and I'm going to read uh, through the end of chapter 16 and uh, uh, the first half of chapter 17. Please follow along Exodus chapter 15 verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the, the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day, of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they will bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and in The morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For when for for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but the Lord. Let's move to chapter 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? 
They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning as we dive into this, uh, this old story and this ancient text which you uh, have breathed out we believe that this is profitable for us, every bit of it. So we ask that you would just simply help us, give us clarity, speak to us, and let us experience Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You might know the movie Shawshank Redemption. There's a character in Shawshank Redemption named Brooks. He's an old man that's been institutionalized, which means that he's been living in uh, at Shawshank, this, this prison, uh, for the vast majority of his life for over 50 years, and he doesn't know how to exist outside of prison life. The time comes for Brooks to be released in his 80s, and he's scared about it. He doesn't want to leave. He, he's forced out of the prison, and he finds himself in the real, cold, tough, difficult world that we all live in. Now, what's strange is at one time, Brooks dreamed of freedom. At one time, he longed to be free, and now he's free, and uh, he's working a, a job at a grocery store, and he can't keep up. Uh, he's he's uh, living in a, a small transitional apartment, and he's just not happy. And he writes back to his friends in prison, and he says, I just wish I was home. On a, uh, on a cold afternoon, Brooks hangs himself. He can't take life on the outside. Have you ever sort of dreamed of a certain life and then you arrive at it and you're met with disappointments, unexpected troubles? Have you ever had this thought of like, wow, I actually thought this would be better than it is? In many ways, this is exactly the experience of Israel right now. They've been locked up in captivity. They've been locked up in Egypt and they are finally free. And all of a sudden, they are hit with troubles. I thought freedom would be different than this. This isn't what we expected. Now, for those of you that are new to the faith, one thing you need to understand is that every believer at some point goes through this right here. I thought, th I thought this life was going to be better. When I became a Christian, this isn't what I signed up for. You know why a lot of people end up walking away from the church as a whole? I've had so many conversations with people about this. You know why people walk away? It's because of this right here. It's because they're told early on that, hey, if you become a Christian, all of your troubles are going to go away. If you become a Christian, God's going to take care of you. It's the good life. It's the best life. Come on, be a Christian. And so then they, they, they give their life over to Jesus or they recommit their life and they attend church regularly and they get into a Bible study and, and, and troubles come. 
their mother gets cancer or they're having trials at work or uh, uh, issues of, of depression or anxiety that continue to linger or temptations still exist and I have to fight against these. I thought these temptations were going to be gone. It's harder now. It was easier back then. I don't know if I like this. It's not what it cracked up to be. Some of you today are facing troubles. There are some people, I, I, I'm sure, in this room that, that you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say times of trouble. And Israel here is certainly facing some troubles. Let me just give you the context, all right, before I, we get into it. Um, here they are, freed from Egypt, right? They've gone through the Red Sea, just this ma- miraculous delivery out of Egypt. Uh, they, they discover that the wilderness is barren. The wilderness is rugged. Most likely they're heading on some kind of uh, ancient trade route. They're heading south right now. The, the entire massive people of over a million people uh, carrying the limited resources that they could carry, just a little bit of, of water. And this has broken down, this, this, uh, this narrative of trouble is broken down into essentially three scenes. Let me just walk you through them really quickly. Scene one, three days go by, and they are without water. Has anybody been without water for three days? Okay. And can you testify to the fact that it's miserable? That's about as, as, as long as we can go uh, as human beings. And so uh, they are rightly so, we could say, panicking at this point. They have no water. And then they get to Mara, and we can only imagine the hope that they first felt as soon as they come to Mara and they see this, this body of water. Maybe tears of rejoicing, but then quickly turned into tears of bitterness and uh, misery as they taste the water, and the water is bitter. Maybe mineral salts that have been somehow dissolved in this water, it's, it's, it's bitter, it's, it's salty, it's, it's undrinkable. Can you imagine this, this sense of panic, like, uh, what are we going to do? Now, in a, in a half of a verse, this miracle takes place in which God says, hey, there's a log there, all right, that God in his foreknowledge and in his sovereignty and in his wisdom placed, knowing where his people are going to be, go ahead, I've prepared a log for you, throw it in, and they throw this log in, the water becomes sweet, and they drink. God then leads, leads them to this place called Elim, it's kind of like Hawaii. There's streams, and there's, there's water, and, and there are 70 palm trees, there's more than that in Hawaii, but 70 palm trees, this, just this beautiful, wonderful land that, that God then leads them to after that. Now, they leave Elim, scene two, and they they move on into, uh, into the wilderness. And by this time, uh, uh, they're in their second month of travel, and they run out of food. Now, with a million people and children, as well as animals to feed, you can only imagine how much food they were carrying and how quickly it was consumed. They freak out again. We're hungry. We're starving. God, in his grace, now gives them every evening quail. 
these birds that just flock right around them and, and just probably just sit all around the ground and, and they're easily, easy to just pick up. Just brings meat right to them. He, he rains bread from heaven, which is called what? Manna. And this continues, by the way, for 40 years. This feeding. Little side note here, the only way that Israel survived the wilderness is because God provided for them every single step of the way. They would have not survived had it not been for his miraculous power. Scene three. They enter into this, this, uh, this new land and, and they are, again, thirsty. They quarrel with Moses. God provides a rock. God says, go uh, and take your staff, and I'll go before you, and I want you to strike the rock. And when Moses strikes the rock, what comes out of the rock? Water. Their thirst is quenched. Now, there are two threads that run through these three scenes that I want to kind of pull out and hang in front of you and learn from. And that is this. During these times of trouble, people, humans, Israel, grumbles. And God is gracious. Now we actually see right in the text that each one of these times of trouble is a test from God. Many of us, we actually like to sit in classes and learn, right? It's when the test comes. We say, I don't know about this class, right? I've got no problem taking this class as long as there aren't any tests. Now all of a sudden, the enjoyment of learning and grappling with material and going, now all of a sudden it's being tested and we're staring at blanks and multiple choice and essay questions. You know the feeling. Some of you are panicking right now. I can just feel the blood pressure swelling in the room. We don't like the test, but the test uh, determines whether or not we're getting it. That's why we're tested on the material. So just chill out. Just need to see if you're getting it. If you're getting it, you'll be all right. These times of troubles that come in the wilderness, each one of them we see in the text here are times of testing. God says it outright, I am testing my people. This is a test to see if they get it. And friends, those of you, specifically those of you facing troubles right now, every single trouble that God brings into our life is a test. God wants to see if we get it. Now here are two ways to show that we do not get it. Number one, grumble. And number two, completely ignore His grace. So as we walk through this text, I want to just simply ask you two questions this morning. And I, don't answer it out loud. Two questions just to walk with. During times of trouble, in the midst of trouble, do you grumble? Second question, in the midst of trouble, do you know God's grace? I was uh, hanging out with a friend of mine. He's not a, not a believer. 
and he asked, asked me what I'm preaching on this Sunday. And I told him, grumbling. And uh, he, thought, he thought I meant I was, my sermon was just going to be grumbling. He was like, oh. He was like, well, you know, with shorter days, it's darker out, it's getting cold. It's all right. You know, a lot of us are kind of in a bad mood now. It's all right just to grumble once in a while. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm not grum- my sermon's not grumbling. <laughs> I hope not. It's ungrumbling. But we're all grumblers, aren't we? I mean, in some ways, this, this is a, uh, an easy question for many of us to answer in the midst of trouble. Do we grumble? Yes, actually. It's, it seems like this is part of the human condition. Maybe a, a better way to ask this and explore this is this. Why do we grumble? Where does grumbling come from? Let's look at the text. We can see a couple ways, uh, reasons that we grumble. First, we see in the first scene that we grumble because we have a distrustful heart. We see right there, at the beginning of this scene, uh, they enter into this wilderness. They have three days without water. Uh, They come to Mara. There's water there, but it's bad water. It's bitter water. They can't drink it. Now, we see right there in verse 24, it says, The people grumbled. And that word means what it says. We could translate it complain. Some of your uh, translations might say murmur. The people are complainers, murmurers, grumblers. That is a theme, a thread that goes through this text. It's, it's, that word is used at least ten times in these three scenes. And they're grumbling, saying, what shall we drink? Now, the root of their grumbling is simply in this. They do not trust the God that just brought them out of Egypt. I mean, they ask this question, have you brought us out here to die? That it, if I was Moses, I would have been like, hold up. Are you seriously asking this question? God went through all of this, these plagues, bringing us through the Red Sea. Do you remember all of this stuff? Oh yeah, he brought us out here just to kill us. We don't trust the God that has saved us. We don't trust the God that has brought us through. That's why we grumble. You've just brought us out here to kill us. Now, we can easily point the finger at Egypt, or or at Israel, rather, and say, oh my goodness, like, how can you, after all that you've seen, like, you just saw the Red Sea split back like this, and you walked across on dry land, how is it possible that you guys can, 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 can lack trust in this God? But before we are so quick to point the finger at Israel, all right, Let's just first admit that uh, by all human standards, their grumbling kind of makes sense. Three days without water, those of you that have been there before, three day, it makes sense, doesn't it? And let's just be honest, some of you right now are going through troubles that by the world standard, it really does make sense to grumble. Yet, they're held accountable for it. So just simply because from a human perspective, it seems like they have a right to grumble in this moment, and it seems that we might have a right to grumble, that does not mean that God doesn't hold us accountable for it. Why? 
because God is a God that we are called to trust. And when we are faced with a lack, we're faced with trouble, we, in that moment, are called to trust God. I mean, we can uh, apply this in a couple different ways, and I'll, I'll try to give you a couple application points, just as, as examples. Uh, husbands. Husbands who, let's say a husband who's going through some marriage issues, and he knows that God, uh, in, in God's design for their marriage, and uh, God has called him to a servant kind of leadership, meaning a lay down his life kind of leadership for, for his wife. Yet going through the challenging times, he is tempted to distrust God's word, do things his own way, and just become controlling and demanding. You see, grumbling is any time we say, you know what, I don't know if God is, is right here. I don't know if I can trust God here. I need to go a different way. Or maybe some of you uh, that, are, that are single. You know that the Bible says that singleness is a form of a, of, of a gift. And then we come to this time of trouble where our singleness doesn't necessarily feel like a gift. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to trust the Word of God? Are we going to trust that God is the provider? Or are we just merely going to become grumblers? Grumbling is rooted in our distrust of God. Grumbling is also rooted in the deceived heart. It's, it's based on a heart that has been deceived. We see this in the next story. As they go on, they move from Elim out into the wilderness, and there, again, they are hungry. They have hungry bellies, and they are, again, grumbling against Moses, and against God, we see right there in verse, uh, verse 8. And here in, in this scene, as they're grumbling, uh, look at verse 3. It says, Would that we have died uh, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the, this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. What are they doing right here? What, what would you call this? They're looking back on the good old days in Egypt. They're hungry, and they're thinking, man, remember back in Egypt? We used to sit around the meat pots. Remember the smell of the meat, the, the goat that's boiling? Remember the bread that we used to eat? We, we would, it was like an all-you-can-eat bread buffet. And we would just eat to our fill. Remember the good old days in Egypt? Remember how they used to treat us like dogs? Remember how we were worked like cattle? Remember how we were dehumanized? No, actually, we don't remember that because this is called selective memory. This is where we remember certain aspects of the past. And we lift that up, and we say, oh, my life was so much better back then than it is now. Back before I was passionately following after Christ, my life, man, I remember these days. I was happy then. And now I'm miserable. 
This is what we call deception. Deception leads to grumbling. Satan is a deceiver. Our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they, they were deceived. The very first sin was a result of what? Deception. God, God doesn't really care for you. Here's proof that God doesn't care for you. Look at all these challenges that you now have in your life as a result of following Jesus. Look at all these issues that you now are facing with friends and family because you're following Jesus. God doesn't really care for you. God doesn't love you. Let's go back to Egypt. And so they took a bite of the fruit. Life outside of Christ is better than life with Christ. It's deceptive. And we are deceived in all sorts of ways in life. Let me just ask you this question, just an application question. What is one way that, uh, that life, right now, honestly speaking, life outside of Christ looks better than life with Christ? What is one trouble that you're facing right now that you would not have if you were not following Jesus? We're, we're deceived. We begin to look back on the past and say, you know, before I had these convictions and before I had the, my, my life being driven by this biblical worldview and before I was following Christ and, uh, at my job or in my relationships, uh, in my neighborhood, I was, I was freed from these things and life was just simply better back then. And we grumble now then as a result. And what we see here in the text is this. Israel is not merely grumbling about God's servant. This isn't grumbling just simply against Moses, all right? It's not merely grumbling against the church. But this is grumbling against God himself. Right there in verse, verse 8, you're not grumbling against us but you're grumbling against the Lord. Grumbling is rooted in distrust. It's rooted in deceit. And our grumbling is also rooted in just simply having a dark, hardened heart. Look at the third scene. In chapter 17 right there. There again with they're, they're, they're lacking. They don't have water. In verse 2, it says the people quarreled with Moses. Now, that word quarreled is, is more than just simply getting into it. They're not just simply scrapping with Moses, all right? My kids quarrel with each other. Quarreling in the biblical sense is taking up an, an a, a official uh, claim against another person. It's to have an offense that you're registering against someone. Think of it in the context of court. You are the offended party and you have a quarrel with the defense. Listen, this isn't just simply a quarrel then with Moses, is it? We've already established this is a quarrel against God himself. They, Israel, in this moment, they are bringing official charges against God. 
now we can begin to see some of their arrogance. All right, so they've already seen a log thrown into salt water and it becomes sweet. They've already seen quail just set, rest on the ground, easy to catch. They've seen every morning bread coming from heaven. It's described as like cornflakes, white flaky bread that's sweet. They've already tasted the goodness of God. And now they have a charge against him. This is where you have wronged me. And they're fighting with Moses. No, they're fighting with God. Moses even says, what am I supposed to do? These people are about to stone me. Now here is the climax of the story. Uh, they, they strike the rock. Water flows from the rock. But look at verse 7. They call the name of the place Massa and Meribah. That means quarreling and testing. The very place where this took uh, this happened, they, they gave it a name so that they wouldn't forget what happened there. And the name doesn't necessarily remind them just simply about the water that came from the rock, just simply about the provision of God. They actually want to remember they're grumbling. This is the place where we quarreled. This is the place where we fought against God. This is the place where we doubted God. This is the place where we, it says in the text, they put God to the test. Where we said to God, let's see if you're legit. No, we don't test God. God tests your faith, but you don't test God's love. And so this place then would forever be named Masa and Meribah, which means quarreling and testing. Now, uh, let's do something here. I want to show you how this is kind of picked up later on in scriptures. You guys turn to uh, Hebrews 3, and I'm going to turn to Psalm 95, and then I'll catch up with you. Hebrews is in the back of the Bible, by the way. In Psalm 95, the psalmist picks up on this very text, and he says something to all of his readers and all of his singers and all of his listeners. In Psalm 95, 8, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they, though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they would never enter my rest. So here in Psalm, all right, you're in Hebrews, but here in Psalms, we see the psalmist writing to the Israelites, and he's saying, don't forget what happened there. It still applies for today. Don't forget, don't, don't do what your people did back then when they put God to the test through their grumbling. When they said, I don't know about this trouble that I'm facing right now. I don't know about this situation. I don't know if I can trust God's goodness to me. I, I, I don't know if I can trust his love for me, his direction, his word. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grumbling against him. Do not be like these people. So this is an ongoing problem for God's people. All right? Now, Hebrews 3. Are you there? In Hebrews 3, we see that the problem continues into the New Covenant era and into our lives today. Hebrews 3, chapter 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I, provoked, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Let's just stop right there for a second. This is an ongoing problem for today, facing troubles, which leads you then to an unbelieving, hardened heart. There are some people in this room right now whose heart is being hardened by troubles. There are some of us who are looking trouble in the face, and we have to make this decision. Are we going to trust and obey God, or are we going to grumble against Him? And this is not just merely an innocent kind of complaint. This isn't just a grumbling matter that we can sleep off and wake up the next morning and we're fine. But this grumbling leads to an unbelieving heart. Don't ever think that you're beyond the deception of the devil. Don't ever think that your heart is golden and, and arrived and, and that you can never be deceived. Don't ever think that you, you're not beyond being hardened in your heart. Look at verse 13. Actually, before we look at verse 13, let me emphasize verse 12. This unbelieving heart, this hardening, it leads you to fall away from the living God. Don't, don't ever believe that you are beyond falling away from the living God. This is no laughing matter. This is some serious stuff here. Some of these Israelites in the wilderness did not enter the promised land because of their grumbling. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, in all of us, there is a grumble. And that grumble will continue to consume us until that's all that is left. In all of us, he says, there's something growing that will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Now you say, wait a second, I thought we couldn't lose our salvation. That's true. We persevere. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are secure. But how do you know that you're a true believer? You know that you're a true believer when you endure the test. True believers persevere. True believers endure until the end. True believers are slapped by trial after trouble after tribulation, and every single time they endure the test. And it's, it's proven, it's shown that they get it and that they trust the living God, and that they obey the voice of their Savior, Jesus Christ, their Lord. Do not grumble as our ancestors did, but endure. Now, what is the, uh, the biblical remedy for this? Look at verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 3. It says, encourage one another daily. 
the biblical remedy for all of this is, is actually what we try to do as a church. It's what's written in our church covenant, that we would be a people who encourage each other daily, as long as it's called today. Imagine, imagine uh, an elite military troop who's going into a certain battle, and they're going to be there for a number of months, and it's going to be very difficult. And, and their strategy was, all right, every man for themselves. Uh, don't worry about looking out for each other. Just do your thing, all right? And once a week, we're going to have this service over here, and if you need to come and just get some encouragement and get filled up, just come on over to the service. Up to you. All right, no, no biggie if you don't want to, if you just want to keep out, stay out in the battle. That's, that's, that's their strategy, all right? Now, how many of those Marines do you think would survive? Very few. Very few. If you want to survive this battle, you need to be uh, encouraging one another daily. As long as it's called today, we are in a battle it's a battle for our souls. It's a battle for our hearts. It's a battle for our minds. And we are in this battle together. What might it look like for you to encourage one another daily? Well, I can give you a couple suggestions right off the, right off the bat. Number one, pray for each other daily. We have membership directories. They're updated. Grab one. Pray through the directory for members. Pray for one another daily. Battle through prayer. When someone comes to your mind, text them. Call them. Facebook them. However you communicate. Let people know, I'm thinking of you, and I just want to encourage you today. When you hang out with friends from the church or when you're getting to know someone from the church, let's not just simply let all of our conversation be as if we're not believers. Talking about sports, talking about the weather, talking about whatever. But let's be people who, who uh, find that it's just natural and normal for us to talk about the things of God, to talk about the state of our souls, the state of our hearts, and to encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. Now let me just close with this. Uh, I, I want to close with this second question. So the first question is, in the midst of trouble, do you grumble? Uh, the second question actually answers how we ought to encourage each other, and that is in the grace of God. So in the midst of trouble, do you know God's grace? Let me just briefly kind of uh, meditate on God's grace that we see in this text. I want to just use this as an opportunity for us to worship together as we see the goodness of God in the midst of grumbling. So from the very get-go right there in, in uh, chapter 16, they're, they're grumbling against God. God has already prepared a log, and God, in his kindness to his people, he, he gives them sweet water. He thought ahead, he, 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 he uh, came up with a strategy and a plan to provide for his people, and they drank, and then he led them into this, this place of rest with palm trees. And then after that, they're in the wilderness, and, and God's, God uh, uh, has this particular kind of, of grace for them, in which he gives them bread, in which he gives them meat, which I'm going to come back to in just a second. But well, let me say this, with each one of these provisions, God also gives them a decree, we see that right there in chapter 15, verse, uh, verse 25 and 26. We see it again in uh, chapter 16. God is giving them a decree. He is 
testing them. In chapter uh, 15, he says, you, you must listen to my voice. You must do what I say. You must obey me. In chapter 16, he's very specific. He says, I'm doing this as a test. And there's specific directions on how you're to gather this. So here comes the manna. Gather just enough, one omer per person. Just enough per person, per day. And then on the sixth day, prior to the Sabbath, I'm going to send you twice as much as you need and grab, uh, grab two omers per person, one for today and one for tomorrow. Very specific directions. Here's, here's what I want to point out. They disobey. It comes on one day, and they go out there, and, and, and some of them are freaking out, like, oh, my goodness, we have bread. Let's just make sure that we have enough for tomorrow in case the Lord doesn't provide. And they take matters into their own hands. Or they don't gather enough on the sixth day and they go out on the seventh day and nothing's falling from the sky. And in both cases, the Lord is angry with them. But you know what? God continues to provide. Think of that kindness. Think of that grace. It says after all of their rebellion against him, just outright disobedience against God, for 40 years he provides for them in this way. And do you notice how specific the provision is? I want you to see his kindness in this. They're grumbling about what? Do you remember? As they're reminiscing back on Egypt, oh, remember the days when we sat around the the pots and we ate, what was it? Meat, and we had bread to our full. What was it that God provided? Meat and bread. The very things from Egypt that they, were, that they were missing and craving. God is so kind to his people. And he provided exactly what they wanted. Not just what they, what they needed. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that grace? Isn't that good? Kind. He has grace for rebels. Rebels like you and I. The whole story of the Old Testament, the whole story of the Bible is a story about human failure and God's kindness. Human failure and God's grace. The reason that God is providing for his people has nothing to do with their obedience, but it has everything to do with his promises that he made to them of salvation. The reason that God continues to lift us up and wake us up and provide for us in the midst of trouble has nothing to do with you and everything to do with his promises in Jesus Christ that he has lavishly showered upon you. That is God's grace for rebels. And his grace is costly. Right there in the climax of the story, they're they're thirsty, and there's this rock, and God says to Moses, he says, I will go before you, and I will stand on the rock, and I want you to take your staff, and I want you to strike the rock. Now, this is a strange, violent image. It's strange in this sense. God is standing on the rock, and Moses is to strike the rock. Now, if you were Moses, you might be a little scared to do this, knowing that you are striking the very presence of God. But friends, this is God taking the strike that his people deserve And through him taking the strike, God, through that, provides water for them. How do we know that? It's because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 
we discover that the rock was Christ. The rock that the people were drinking from all along, that rock was Christ. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see that Christ is going to be stricken for us. We will strike his heel, but as a result of Christ being stricken, the enemy's head will be crushed. And through the striking of Christ, the living water flows into all who put their faith in him, and their thirst is quenched. Look, friends, remember, this is Israel, the wilderness, Egypt. These are all types of the greater redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. Egypt is this type of sin, and the wilderness is this type of wandering that we're currently in. And this isn't just simply about bread and water. This isn't just simply about receiving physical things from God. But this is about the provision that we have in Christ, the spiritual provision that we have when we are tempted to go back, when we are tempted to run to Egypt, when we're tempted to be comfortable in Egypt, and God continues to wake us up. He continues to encourage us. How? Through each other. Let me close with, with reading this, this exhortation from Hebrews chapter 3. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors were tested and, and tried God. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Some of you are facing trials right now, real trials and troubles. Do you realize that this is a test from God to test your endurance your faith, your obedience. In the midst of these trials, do you grumble? In the midst of these trials, do you, do you recognize and, and, and see and taste and enjoy and bask in and praise and worship His grace? God is good. Let's worship Him. God, we thank You for this story that has been preserved for us. We thank you for the reality that it speaks to us today. We pray that we will heed this warning, that we will not be like our ancestors who quarreled with you and who tested you in the wilderness, but that we will trust and obey. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.